Welcome to the Expansive Astrology Podcast, where we look at using astrology beyond the tropes and horoscopes to tune into the natural forces around us and within us, honoring our true nature to craft our future. I'm your host, Melissa, the self-care witch, and I'm here to help you meet your magic. Without further ado, let's begin this week's episode with a tarot reading for the collective. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Expansive Astrology Podcast. It's episode 14. And today we're talking about Leo season and how Leo season invites us into play and pleasure. It's a really important one. Um, and I hope you've been working on like your shamelessness and your pride to prepare. Uh, first things first. Let's see what the tarot has for us. Remember, this is a reading for the collective, so some things may really resonate and some things may not right now. So take what you need and leave the rest and stay open to seeing how some of these things may play out over the week, even if they're not really feeling like they're resonating today. You know what I'm saying? This is a soul check-in spread by Lindsay Mack. We're asking what's present for us, our lesson, and our anchor. Okay. All right. It's an interesting one. Um, present for us, we have the Four of Pentacles, supported by the Queen of Swords. So, hmm. The way I read both of these cards, like the first thought for both of them is like boundaries, really sacred boundaries. So let me start with the four of pentacles. The pentacles take us on this journey of receiving a seed, a pentacle or um, a, a seed, a soul seed, a seed of um, a seed of inspiration, a seed from the divine, some sort of inspiration or some sort of calling, some sort of something that we are being asked to plant and root down with and nurture and grow into a beautiful garden that then can not only serve and provide for us, but can also serve and provide for our community, our larger community. Um, so the pentacle suit is uh, beautiful. I really love it. We're learning what it means to marry being a soul with being a human. Now in the four of pentacles, <laughs> we see a person who's far removed from the city and they are just with their four pentacles and like nothing else. Early on in the pentacle suit from the ace to like, uh, the, yeah, like the four or the five, especially the ace, the two and the three, we see this being being handed a soul seed and then devoting themselves to that seed, learning what it is to be with that seed. Uh, in the three, we're learning how our devotion to that seed contributes to the community um, and how our mastery of our own soul work, keeping our eyes on our own paper and letting others do the same how that like helps us to really grow in our own little garden, right? So so we've been handed the seed, we've been devoting to the seed, we've been learning how 
to be the gardener of our own little lives and how how my garden meshes with other people's gardens and how other people might um, recruit me or, you know, call on me for advice with their gardens. But the best thing that I can do is really focus on tending mine. We've done all of this work, all of this growing, all of this learning, all of this root work, all of this tending. And now we see in the four that this person has these four pentacles that um, both of their feet are resting on a pentacle. There's a pentacle on top of their head, and there's a pentacle right across their chest, like covering their heart, and they're gripping onto it very tightly. So there's this idea that this person has learned their pentacles so much, and they've done so much work and so much devotion to their pentacles that they don't make any moves. They don't make any decisions um, that aren't you know, guided by or aligned with or based upon those pentacles. And that's, that can be good or bad, right? And I always say it's not a problem until or unless it's a problem. So it's not a bad thing to have so much faith and trust in your pentacles, in your work, in what you've learned and gained and grown. It's okay to like let your head and your heart and your feet rest on these pentacles and be informed by these pentacles. Like that's not a bad thing. But there is like this sense in this card that maybe the guy, maybe this guy could open up a little bit. <laughs> maybe he could um, relax a little bit. Maybe he could reintegrate into like the city that's behind him. Maybe he doesn't have to be so isolated and protective. Or maybe he does, right? Who are we to say? I don't know. I don't know what's going on for him right now. But the message, what's present for us in the Four of Pentacles how are we using our pentacles? How are we relating with them? Do we have boundaries with them? How do we let our work, our soul work, our resources, how do we let our utilization of our resources and, and like the element of earth, how are we relating with that? Do we have good boundaries with that? Are we like centered and focused on our pentacles, our roots, our garden? in a way that is also like integrated with society, you know, <laughs> um, just kind of asking or checking in or relating, noticing how protected or how protective do I need to be? Just evaluating our boundaries. Sometimes we really need to tighten up on our boundaries and sometimes we can loosen up a little bit. And supported by the Queen of Swords feels so divine and like what a beautiful duo. The Queen of Swords is Cardinal Air, I think. Yes, okay. Um, so she's Libra. And when I think Libra, I think <laughs> friendship. <laughs> um, Libra is ruled by Venus, and Libra just has this incredible ability to make connections, foster beauty, foster friendship. Um, and the, Lindsay Max says this. This is like straight out of Lindsay's Mac, Lindsay Max's mouth. She says that Libra and or the Queen of Swords is so good at fostering and facilitating friendships. She is, you can walk through her front door and you can go so far into her house and learn so much and feel so much beauty and warmth and feel totally welcome and at home. And it is clear 
which doors you do not enter. <laughs> you can go so far through that front door and she makes you feel so welcome. And it is just known. She makes it known. It is very clear, very gently clear which doors you do not enter, which doors you don't even look at <laughs> or knock on. So the Queen of Swords is not afraid to protect those doors. She's not afraid to let people in, let them see her, let them enjoy her and let them be with her. She's not a, she's very willing to do that and she's also very willing to say hard things and to set hard boundaries and to turn people away for the good of her kingdom, right? We wouldn't have a king of swords if we didn't have a queen of swords. And so she is like the master. I'm trying not to say that word anymore. Um, so I guess I'm publicly asking y'all to hold me accountable to that. Um, maybe using the word expert is more appropriate and more um, accurate to what I'm trying to describe. Um, the queen of swords is the expert of utilizing her swords, utilizing her air in a very supportive, grounding, nourishing, resourcing, like internal, expert way. So she is here supporting our Four of Swords work as a representation of profoundly sacred and huge boundaries. The Queen of Swords helps us to cultivate the courage to disappoint people, <laughs> to say no, to use our voice, even if it isn't pretty, even if it isn't what others want to hear from us. She's willing to say it. So check in. Where do you have leaky boundaries? And where can you keep them a little more firm? Where can you, you know, strengthen your boundaries in both like in a way that is balanced, in a way that is gentle yet firm, where you're not giving too much of yourself. No more freaking people pleasing. And if you struggle with that, <laughs> shoot, one day I might just call myself like a people pleaser um, coach or something, like a people pleaser recovery coach, because that, <laughs> it's almost like it ends up being a big theme of my work. Um, people pleasers tend to find me. <laughs> um, there's no room for people pleasing in the Queen of Swords. That's present for us this week. Our lesson is the Eight of Wands. And it being in the lesson spot tells me that we might have some challenges with this or we might have some opportunities to grow <laughs> when it comes to the Eight of Wands. So in the Eight of Wands, we see eight wands like flying through the air they're about to land you can kind of tell they're like almost at that landing point but they're still up in the air so in the eight of swords or sorry in the eight of wands i hope i've been saying wands this whole time because i mean wands we get to check in and ask how do i show up to these moments where things feel like they're up in the air where i have no control where 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 things are going to land that can be very scary and very, like, contracting. We don't like that. Especially if we did a whole lot of work to build our strength and learn our wand and learn how to throw the wand. We've done all this work and we've we've learned how to throw the wand like an expert wand thrower. But then once it leaves our hand, it's out of our hand. <laughs> so how do we show up in that in-between? 
that in between of like learning our wand, gathering our strength, learning how to uh, throw the wand, like, I don't know, <laughs> like an Olympian. <laughs> um, and then trusting that once it leaves our hand, we have done the work, we've cultivated the strength, and we have like given it to God, if, if you don't like that phrasing. Um, I respect that and understand that, but we've given it over to the universe. It's out of our hands. Things are up in the air. Are, do you feel confident with the work that you did leading up to this point? Can you feel confident? Can you like take a deep breath and rest your head at night knowing like, well, I did everything I knew to do. I did everything I could before these um, wands left my hand. And now it is out of my hand. So how do you show up to that moment before they touch the ground? When you don't know where they're going to land. Maybe you're wondering, should I have tried harder? Should I have thrown better? Should I have tried a different technique? might be wondering like, oh God, where are they going to land? What is going to happen? What is going to come of me if they don't land where I want them to land? Lots of like, we don't like this. <laughs> we don't like this moment. <laughs> we don't like this eight of wands moment. It's really uncomfortable for the brain. And there's always medicine. There's always an invitation. There's always a lesson, right? How do you want to show up when things are out of your hands and, and up in the air? How do you want to respond to those moments? How do you want your kids to see you respond to those moments? You know, how can you exercise faith and trust in yourself that you did everything you could before you threw that wand and also faith and trust in the universe or in God that, that the wand will land exactly where it needs to, even if it's not what you thought, you know? And it's reversed. <laughs> so the Eight of Wands as a lesson means we might be kind of challenged in this. And it's reversed, which to me feels like a deepening of the whole message. It feels like a, like a, um, not all the time, but sometimes reversals kind of feel like a warning. It's like, how can you turn me back right side up? How can we empower ourselves in those moments where things are out of our hand and up in the air? How can we empower ourselves to show up gracefully and in our power in those moments? And our anchor for the week has this uh, kind of a similar vibe, uh, but it's cups. It's the seven of cups. And in this card, in the Pamela Coleman Smith illustration, we see a person with seven cups up in the air. They're up in this cloud and the person is kind of like, and each cup holds a different symbol or a different um, resource. And the person is <laughs> seemingly evaluating these seven cups or seemingly trying to decide which, which of the cups they should reach out and engage with. When I pull this card, the phrase that comes to mind is, I don't need to know. <laughs> this is a period where I don't need to know. So that's pretty broad, but, um, t you know, Take that how you need to hear it. Um, if things are up in the air, if you're not sure what move to make or what choice to make, you're not sure what's next for you, let yourself be in that moment. 
you know, let let things be up in the air. So you see how it's like a similar message to that eight of wands, but it's similar but different. Um, how do we show up when we don't know what the fuck to do? We don't know what to choose. We don't know what's going to be right. We don't even know what's available to us. How do you show up to that? Can you let yourself be in that moment? Let there be seven plus cups in the air where, you know, they all may seem equally appealing um, or or you just plain don't know what to go for. Um, this is a period of life and when things need to become clear, they will become clear, you know? When you need to know, you will know. But right now, it's a state of like evaluation or daydreaming. It's this period of um, you don't know. <laughs> Maybe you don't know. Maybe you are dreaming. Maybe maybe you're really scared. Maybe there's a lot of contraction or a lot of pressure around it. Um, maybe there's a lot of pressure to make a decision and make it now. So, you know, I, I honor that if there is like a time constraint or a time pressure. And the Seven of Cups could be a five-minute <laughs> experience, right? But for those five minutes, can you be fully in and surrendered to the experience of Seven of Cups. Can you be fully in and surrendered to the experience of not knowing what is right for you and not knowing what to choose or where to go? So it's funny that the anchor, which is meant to be like grounding, <laughs> the anchor is a lesson or an invitation or a call to accept the fact that things are up in the air. Can you find grounding while things are up in the air? It almost feels like contradictory, kind of, almost in a way, but it's it's really not, you know. That's the anchor for the week. In some ways, things are. Seven of Cups. In some ways, things are. Eight of Wands. Can you lean into the Queen of Swords and the Four of Pentacles? Can you lean into sacred boundaries in these very, like, up-in-the-air moments? Resting on what we know and what we've gained and leaning on, you know, those things. Leaning on and resourcing from our garden as it stands, whatever, like, state it's in right now. Really leaning into that and trusting that. And also, like, trusting, like, the forces that are bigger than us. For Trusting, like, the bigger picture. Trusting, like that you are supported and things will land where they need to land. Things will become clear when they need to become clear. In the meantime, can you find enjoyment and a sense of safety and security and abundance in the meantime where you are right now? Even if you only have four pentacles and you can't wait to have ten? Yeah, find some trust and surrender right now, but not surrender in that you're sacrificing or compromising yourself. Surrender plus boundaries. <laughs> um, and that's the tarot reading for you this week. Um, I really hope that's helpful. Now, for the expansive astrology. Like I said, we're talking Leo, we're talking play and pleasure shamelessness, authentic self-expression, sensuality and sexuality, if, if that's your thing, if you vibe with that, um, let's get into it. 
so far this season, we've explored a big part of Leo's mission, right? Which is to like set down our defenses and to learn what it is to truly shine no matter what. And to aim for that light to be coming straight from the heart space. Not from the ego, not from will, but straight from heart. I really love to think of heart, our heart space as um, kind of another avenue to the soul. I, it's, it's, it's like the heart is the way that the soul or the way that spirit speaks human to us in a way that we can feel and like understand it's like the heart is a bridge between earthly and spiritual like aspirations or or knowings or needs you know so this week to kind of help us round out the work we've been doing with the ego which is often quite grueling uh, to move through ego work, <laughs> learning how to manage it and how to slough off unneeded layers of ego, like, that's tough work. <laughs> it's not pretty, it's not always very easy. Um, so, um, this week we're already more than halfway through Leo season. Uh, so this week... Let's round it out a little bit with some play. We're inviting more play, more pleasure, more creativity into your world. We're going to continue to practice this like treating treating ourselves like royalty with like the reverence and respect of royalty. And let's add in an intention of play and pleasure. You know, with Leo, I picture a big old lion, like sun basking on his rock, laying out in total luxury, totally surrendered, right? Not a care in the world, but still so totally fierce and completely, you know, capable luxuriating royal king of the jungle lion um like playfully pawing at a butterfly flying by <laughs> um or you know teasing playing with his little lion cubs i like that image and that's what we're working with this week this week is all about luxury, pleasure, play, surrender, and self-expression. So first, let's get clear on any grossness or sticky narratives you have around these things. Play, pleasure, luxury, surrender, creativity, and expression. What's already coming up for you around this topic? Is this feeling like a discussion that you need? Are you like all on board or is there any sort of um, contraction around it? Like, um, 
hear that, right? It's telling you something wherever you are. Any sort of like resentment or doubt or feeling like this isn't accessible to you or feeling like this isn't worthwhile for you? Are you worried that you don't have time for this? This sort of stuff? Are you worried how other people in your life may react if you were to seriously sink into a place where play and pleasure are an everyday necessity? Are you, before we even begin, there can be this tendency to um, like barter with ourselves, making little deals with with ourselves or with the universe. Like uh, once my child is a little older or like once school starts again <laughs> or um, once this thing is finished or that thing has been taken care of, then I'll be able to play and focus on this. <sighs> How would you like to be able to feel about play and pleasure and surrender? Note where you are and just note any of those thoughts or feelings. Note what your narrative already is about play and pleasure and luxury and surrender and all these things. Um, and then like, let's, let's check in with where you are. So that you can decide where you want to be instead. Like, let's not let any sticky weirdness, old narratives, um, and, and feelings of undeservingness or the value of this stuff. Uh, don't, don't let those things get in the way before we've even begun. And remember... Most of like what I bring you in expansive astrology simply includes invitations and experiments. So you're invited this week to experiment with extra play and pleasure. Considering it an experiment might help you um, to dive in more fully without like the pressure of any sort of like huge commitment or anything like it's an experiment. Um, considering these things, just invitations or experiments also might kind of help get your brain on board or any part of you that's feeling um, dubious or doubtful, you know? It's just an experiment. We're just seeing what it would be like if we did practice play and pleasure. So first, let's have a chat about surrender because... In some ways, we've already begun to discuss this, this season. Uh, we just haven't really named it as surrender yet, but think of the strength card, right? The being on the card is approaching this lion in this sacred, undefended way, and the lion is responding to that in the same way. Um, not surrender and like a, ah, fuck it, throwing in the towel, like white flag, hands up, I'm done trying, done fighting. Um, not, not in that sort of way. Um, surrender is not passivity. It's not giving up. Surrender is an action. It's an intention. It's a choosing to be with what is to set down defenses and to accept where you are and what's to come. 
Surrender is a trusting. It's setting aside measures of attempted self-preservation. And it's absolutely integral in experiencing play and pleasure, right? Think of an orgasm. To come requires, at least on some level, a release, a surrender, a relaxing, a welcoming, right? On some level, there is some sense of release and surrender. There has to be. Like an orgasm doesn't exist without some level, even if it's like purely physical. It doesn't, it doesn't happen without it. So again, if you have any brain stories and contraction around the word or the idea of surrender, like get clear on that. Just curious about it, right? And you get to actively choose. How would you like to feel about surrender? Where does it feel most threatening or scary? And how can you nurture your way through? I think part of the medicine of it is the doing so even when we're unsure or even when there is fear or uncertainty, you know? Just some things to think about. It feels important to consider surrender before we talk about play. So let's talk about play. Dr. Stuart Brown, founder of the National Institute for Play, called play a state of being which is purposeless, fun, and pleasurable. <laughs> I like that. I like considering play a state of being. And that word purposeless always stands out to me purposeless, like needless, a needless activity. Complete focus on the moment and, and the experience, like rather than accomplishing some sort of goal, you know? And like, it's okay to have a goal or a purpose in um, your play or your creativity or your pleasure, right? Uh, but I think checking in with that and like seeing if you can surrender to the moment and be in a state of play without concern for what the outcome will be. And the example I have is, is um, like playing poker and enjoying the hand is play, but gambling with a need or a goal to of hitting the jackpot is technically not play when we're focused on an end goal or an end game or some sort of outcome we're not present and if play is a state of being you know then we need to be willing to be in it you know uh so um another example of how Mindfulness is really the foundation of so many things, you know. Dr. Brown studied play for decades, and um, an interesting finding was that a lack of play was an important factor in predicting criminal behavior. And on the other hand, having play as a norm in a relationship 
predicts emotional intimacy. It's almost like play begets play. <laughs> it feeds itself. Play has been found to help build community, to sharpen our brains, and um, to bring relationships closer together. Our need for play does not disappear when we grow out of childhood. It's a common saying that, um, well, maybe it's not so common because it's escaping me. What is it? It's like um, play is a child's work or something to that effect. <laughs> um, I don't really think we have to grow out of that. I don't know if we're meant to grow out of that. People are so quick to call children magical, you know? What is it about children that's so magical? And could it do, have anything to do with play? Just things to think about. So we get to practice what it is like to look at the world through the eyes of a child. You know, children notice everything. They see potential in everything. They wonder about everything. And they are so in the moment. They are so in the moment of whatever is right in front of them and whatever is happening within them. That's like all that there is for them. And, you know, their imagination. And shit never gets old for them, right? Like blowing bubbles is just as magical for my almost two-year-old now as it was the first time. Everything seems so novel and worthy of exploring, and everything is exciting. I think we could all take a page out of a child's playbook, if you will. Because the only type of play we tend to give ourselves permission to engage in as adults is, like, competitive or like play that we somehow get paid for or that results in something. So I dare you take a moment to consider like what percentage of your life now includes play. And again, how would you like play to look in your life? How much play do you want to prioritize? And some might not even really know what that would look like <laughs> in your life as it is, right? We really lose our ability to play as we grow into these hardened, old, cold adults. So let's, let's explore what it means to play and how to play. Some examples of how to play. First, I want you to look to a younger version of yourself. What did you used to do? for play as a child? What did you used to love? What were your favorite things to do? Were they more imaginative or did they tend to have some sort of guide? Did you play alone or did you play with others or both? I'm kind of defining what your natural play style is um, and no judgment on any of it. And then let's kind of rethink what play is in adulthood. Remember those definitions from before. Play is a state of being. 
in which we're doing things not for any real purpose aside from the fun and the pleasure of it all. I believe the most accessible play we have as an adult is found in the everything of life. The chores, the mundane, and that's when it matters most. So this could look like talking to your dog, twirling in the mirror and giving yourself finger guns before you walk away, (laughs) putting on makeup even if you have nowhere to go, using and engaging your imagination, intentionally daydreaming. Can you give yourself recess, like a specific intentional recess in the middle of your day? Play as an adult is letting ourselves giggle at funny things without reservation. Playing board games or video games or watching old vine compilations or uh, reading for pleasure. Making our dinner really mindfully and experimenting with new recipes. Dancing around or just listening to music. Singing to music. Wearing clothes that you feel great in and enjoy again for no reason. Like you don't need a reason to get dressed up in things that you like and that you feel good in. The reason is pleasure. That's reason enough. Playing catch with yourself. Masturbating. Making a craft or a DIY. Pulling a Drew Barrymore and going out into the rain. Never miss the opportunity, she says so sweetly. You can play while you're watering your plants. You can talk to them. Or not. (laughs) Celebrating everything. Celebrate everything. Which requires pride and shamelessness and willingness to shine, which is what we've been exploring so far. So we're well equipped and totally ready to step into this celebrating i like i like the way gratitude and celebrating kind of inspires play it's very playful it's very present celebration feels like a good lens to view play through and we can't really have this sort of discussion and call it complete without also talking about the number one killer of play. Shame. Shame is the killer of play. It totally gets in the way of play, of surrender, right? So let's shift for a moment and chat about finding comfort with shamelessness. Shame and vulnerability researcher and author and brilliant woman, Brene Brown, describes shame as, quote, the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging, unquote. This is that predatory brain chemistry that I speak about, if I've ever heard it, 
right? That function of our brain that treats us like weak prey and isolates us from the rest of the world or from protection and help. The very nature of what shame is makes it difficult to share our feelings and our experiences with others. So out of self-preservation, we keep our thoughts and feelings and experiences that may create or feed shame. We keep it all to ourselves. I have five steps to kind of help remedy shame, and they come from Dr. David Sack. So step one in managing shame is naming it, saying it, like to yourself first, then bonus points if you can share with somebody else, because that's like the antidote, (laughs) is like letting others in. Secrets create shame. Shame grows in silence. There are times where it's like, I don't want to talk to my therapist. I don't want to talk to my partner about this thing because I know that they're going to tell me that I'm wrong and tell me that I'm worthy and tell me that they love me, (laughs) you know? And there are times where like my brain doesn't want me to have access to those beautiful things. So being able to name it and especially being able to share it with others, it's very, very very powerful in this work. Uh, And step two is getting really objective to find the more constructive emotion. Because it's like shame sometimes isn't even always the most accurate way to describe what's going on. Um, It can be useful to kind of tease it apart and dig in there because shame often comes up in the place of something else like guilt or humiliation and it's really important to identify those things because guilt means I did something bad if there's a feeling of guilt it's important to work with that pay attention to that tune into that so that you can do what you need to do about it you know make amends or apologize or find a solution to um, rectify a wrong if true guilt is coming up. So we may actually be feeling guilty, which is like, I've done something bad. And instead, shame likes to sneak in there, telling us that we are bad and we are something bad instead of that I, I did something bad. Can't you see the difference there? So it's important to know. Because shame is like, you can't really, it's so hard to move through. It's so hard to, to, it's so much harder to take an action um, when we're inundated with a false belief that we are wrong and we are bad. But, you know, a feeling of guilt isn't necessarily that much (laughs) um, easier to move through, but... um, you know, when we can empower ourselves and acknowledge guilt for what it is and what it is showing up for us as, um, that we have done something bad, that is a little more actionable. If I realize that I've done something that feels wrong and now I'm feeling guilty about it, I can address that thing, you know? And sometimes shame comes up in the stead of humiliation. (laughs) Uh, 
ironically, shame might be a little easier to feel than humiliation sometimes. Humiliation means somebody else made you feel less than. So, like, I, I can't believe my boss called me out for being late like that in front of everyone. That's humiliation. Shame is, I can't believe I was late. So what's, what's really present, what's actually going on. And then step three is, you know, making sure that you have a really solid sense of who you are outside of feedback from others and outside of your labels and outside of what you do, divorce your self-worth from the reactions of others. If you have an idea and other people don't like your idea, it doesn't mean it's a bad idea. It doesn't mean you shouldn't share your ideas. If you get dumped, it means that relationship wasn't right. Not that you are unlovable and a failure as a partner. Divorce yourself forth from the reactions of others. Divorce your sense of identity from these external things so that you can feel full and whole regardless of what occurs outside of you. Step four is knowing your triggers. Be really aware of what you're sensitive about and how it comes up for you. The things that trigger our insecurities can encourage us to default to shame. So for example, a person who is insecure about their contribution to the home or their ability to provide may default to feeling shamed when their partner mentions their neighbor's new car and may interpret that comment as an attempt to shame them rather than just an innocent natural observation, you know? And learning to adjust the voice of the superego, which we spoke about last week. Make sure you didn't miss it. And then step five is to make connections. <laughs> Hack the system. Shame is in many ways a fear of disconnection. It's the way our superego critiques us. It's the way our brains keep us isolated from others. So connect more. <laughs> Don't let that happen. Connect with others. Connect with yourself. Managing our shame is truly essential in allowing ourselves to experience play and pleasure. We need to have a full sense of permission for pleasure. No shame attached. Leo's invitation and ability to live from the heart spaces, in my opinion, one of the truest keys to unlocking the strengths of Leo from within us. Empowered Leo is confident, magnetic, creative, shameless, giving, zesty. An empowered Leo operates from the heart. And pleasure is the language of the soul. So Leo asks us to smile for no reason, 
to share the selfie without fear of appearing vain or fear of criticism, fear of not stacking up. Leo asks us to express ourselves creatively and fully and without reserve, to roar. I also want to remind you that we are magnetic, especially when we're in a state of surrender and pleasure. A desperate magnet doesn't exist, right? And a questioning, unsure magnet doesn't exist. A magnet pulls and polarizes effortlessly just by being. Can you be that? Be in a state of surrender and pleasure and trust and empowerment and magnetism. And that will bring more pleasure and play and magnetism. It'll, it'll attract it to you. I truly, I really believe that play and pleasure is our natural state. And the more we experience those things, the more we experience those things. <laughs> so like self-preservation and big ego energy and desperation and undeservingness and shame and defensiveness. Those are, those are the antithesis of play and pleasure. We are magnetic. We attract what we seek and we repel the rest. If you embody and embrace a life full of pleasure and play and creativity and shamelessness, those things will strengthen and grow within you and in your world. And you'll begin to polarize the opposite. I know this. I felt into this. So before we wrap up, I want to leave you with a poem to kind of serve as like an affirmation for the week. This is The Charge of the Goddess by Doreen Valiente. And if you're an old student of expansive astrology or if you've followed me for a while, you've surely heard me quote this before. <laughs> I just absolutely love it. It goes like this. Let my worship be within the heart that rejoices. For behold, all acts of love and pleasure are my rituals. Therefore, let there be beauty and strength, power and compassion, honor and humility, mirth and reverence within you. that's all I have this week. I really hope that this served. Please let me know how this lands for you and how you plan to embrace these things in your everyday. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to see more play. Now for a brief astrological forecast for the upcoming week. All of these times are in Eastern Daylight Time. There's not a whole lot this week, actually. Um, a lot of things are staying put. Stay curious and open to seeing how they may play out for you, if they have an impact on you and your little world. It's recommended that when the moon is void of course, we kind of take a more passive approach. Not meaning that we don't do anything, but it's a little less about like creating something and a little more about like resourcing. Um, so it's just interesting to kind of track and 
experiment with. And I always say, if nothing else, use the moon being void, of course, as an excuse to do some of those more like passive resourcing, resourceful things for yourself. So Wednesday, the 10th, the moon is void, of course, from 1239 p.m. until it enters Aquarius at 245 p.m. And then on Thursday, we have a full moon in Aquarius at 9.36 p.m. And on that day, Venus enters Leo. On Friday the 12th, the moon is void, of course, from 7.07 a.m. until it enters Pisces at 2.44 p.m. Sunday the 14th, the moon is void, of course, from 11.11 a.m until it enters Aries at 4.43 p.m. And then next Tuesday, which is the date of the next upload, but I'll mention it now. Um, the moon is void, of course, from 4.18 p.m. until it enters Taurus at 10.22. Next week, we'll have a little Leo season wrap up and discuss how Leo season helps support and prepare for the medicine of Virgo. And consider this your formal invitation to my next moon meetup. The next one is Sunday, August 21st, and it will be in preparation for the upcoming new moon in Virgo, where we get to really bring in the Virgo medicine and set intentions for what we want Virgo season to look like for us. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves. We've still got plenty of Leo energy, Leo medicine to sink into and enjoy for the next couple of weeks before all that. So uh, I hope I see you playing out there, fam. <laughs> Let me know how I can support you. Uh, I hope this was helpful for you in some way. Thank you for being here. I love you so much, and I will see you same time, same place next week. Bye. Now, before you go, let me keep your ear for just a moment. This week's episode is brought to you by www.theselfcarewitch.com, my bread and butter, where you can find more information on my current courses, offerings, and other fun ways to connect with myself and yourself. If you enjoyed this episode and you dig what I'm doing here, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and leave a review. It helps so much. And if you'd like to connect with me, head to theselfcarewitch.com. I'd truly love to hear from you. Until next time, take care.